If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Um, Matthew chapter 4, we're going to dive in. And really what we've been doing this morning is kind of hitting on uh, just what biblical discipleship looks like. The first hour, the first session or second session, excuse me, this morning was specifically that. It was really helping you showcase and see uh, what discipleship looks like, following the Lord. And so we're going to dive in a little bit more on this, this uh, afternoon right now. We're going to talk about, man, what does it really look like? I mean, discipleship is all over the place. Discipleship means different things to different people. It has throughout the years. As a matter of fact, when every hundred years a new evangelist or great pastor hits the scene throughout history, go back and do research. Uh, when they said something specifically about heaven or even discipleship of the church, it stuck and it hung around for that time period. And then a new person would come on and then it would just kind of rechange. And so what is, what, what's the deal? You get on Amazon and you, you can type in um, books on discipleship. You can go in the Google search engine and type things on discipleship. And what happens? You get a gamut of different books about discipleship. So what really is it? Again, you heard me this morning, if you were paying attention to some degree, that I think there's three things ailing the church. One, prayerlessness, for sure. Calling on heaven, rend the heavens. One, and then Christology, but then also discipleship. Discipleship. It's amazing. I was traveling uh, again, and I came home, and my wife, I'll tell you what, Mandy, she, I know when she's at that point. If you're married, if you're married and you know your wife is at that breaking point, y'all know what I'm talking about. But I walked in, and uh, man, I was just like, man, what's going on? She was just there, and just, you know, hair was all over the place. She was just there. And so I said, okay, what's going on? Well, those girls are yours, right? I like how they're like my girls now, right? Those girls are yours. Okay, all right, well, all right, okay, well, cool. You know, man, we like to fix stuff. Anybody like to fix stuff? I'm going to fix it instead of just listening. So where, where are they at? Where are these girls? I'm going to tell them something. Now I'm like my flesh right here. There's, there's one flesh and my wife is off. And now I'm off. I'm about to go fix this deal. We're about to set the record straight. So they're sitting in the den, all three of them. They're a lot younger at this point. Now they're 12, 10, and 7. They're a lot younger. And so they're sitting on the couch and... And uh, the little feet dangling from the couch, can't even touch the ground. And I go in and I say, well, girls, what's going on, man? Why is mom so, why is mommy so messed up? What, what's the deal? And they go, well, daddy, we don't think we need to, like, clean our rooms. I said, oh, okay. Said, what else? Well, we don't think we need to straighten up and, and, um, and, and, and clean up behind ourselves. We, we, don't, we don't think we need to do that. I said, okay, anything else? I said, okay, y'all done? So here's, here's my pitch to you. Uh, why don't you go to the grocery store and buy your own food? Um, why don't you, you know, by the way, you need a car to get there. You need money to actually purchase groceries. Um, uh, yeah, by the way, since you guys are in the mood of not doing things and taking for granted the blessings you have, why don't you... Why don't you pay the mortgage? And my youngest, Naomi, she's so cute. She was really young at this point. She's like, mortgage? What's mortgage? Mortgage. I said, mortgage, girl. Mortgage, right? Mortgage. Pay the mortgage. And then my middle had the nerve to say this. No, that's your job. <laughs> Fellas. Oh, you done messed up now. <laughs> that's your job. And I thought to myself as I heard that, I said, man, that obviously we corrected the whole deal. But I thought, man, what a profound perspective from a kid's life in regards to being in a home and having it made. 
and having some sense of responsibility and even, I'm not going to follow the stage, some sense of, of responsibility and even skin in the game. I said, this is profound in that Jesus would say that we are his disciples and we ought to be agents of change in the culture. But many times in the church, and let's just use this conference for the example at hand. A lot of us, we think, well, no, that's just, that's Pastor Todd's job. That's, that's my pastor. If you don't attend here, that's my pastor's job. That's, oh, that's the higher up people. That's those who get paid for ministry. Do you know that if you, if you know Jesus as your savior, you are considered a disciple. Now the question is, what is a disciple? A disciple is this, simply profound and even defined as this. A disciple is one who knows the Lord, obeys the Lord, and shares the Lord. I'm going to say it again. A disciple of Jesus, a follower, Christianity is being thrown around a lot, is loose. Uh, Antioch, a, a secular context, would even coin that to the disciples in the early early church in Acts, and I mean, you, like, you guys are like little Christ. I mean, you, you resemble Jesus. I'm not sure that's the case in our culture today when you use the word Christian. Because you be a Christian now, and it can be, man, I, I, I look to politics more than I look to the gospel. Can I go there? I'm about to get on the plane. Y'all don't have to invite me back. I'm all good. Amen. <laughs> I, I'm just talking about what is, what is, what is, I'm, I'm a kingdom of heaven, so I, I call myself, but, but I have this cultural Christianity that, that permeates my life. I have the same mindset as Marcus's girls that, no, we're really, I, now, I know I ought to be doing some things. I have real biblical responsibilities per scripture and per this uh, great exchange. But, but that's, I'm going to leave it up to other people. As a matter of fact, some of you in the room, you're probably saying, I've, I've left that up. I've chalked it up to my wife to actually lead. Men, that's not the way to go. And so, the question is, a disciple is this, one who knows the Lord, knows him intimately. That is gnosko by experience. You know that he's good. You know that he's faithful. You, you, I was talking to a gentleman earlier, like, man, how do you know the point of surrender? How do you know? Like, I haven't, I, I, I've given my life to Jesus, but just this, Marcus, this idea of complete surrender. It's just complete reckless abandonment upon and land on God's grace, land on his character. And so you're not only Savior, but you're also Lord. And I, I wonder... I think there's still some men in this room that need to make the decision saying, God, I up until this point, and it's guys daily, I have to do this. If this is a picture of a chair, man, who's sitting on the throne and this chair represents your heart? Who's sitting on, who's, what's reigning on your heart? What's literally reigning? Some of us, it's, it's, our, it's our, our status in our company. Some of us is the things we have. Some of us are pedigree. I mean, you name it. It's a, a litany list of things. And these things are actually good things, but when good things become ultimate things, they become ultimately destructive things. And so the question is, who's reigning? Yeah, one who knows God. God, I know you're good. I know you're taking me somewhere. We're going to see this in this text too. You're taking me somewhere. I want to trust you. you your, your track record is faithful to be trusted, but I want to obey you. And if you look at the word obedience, here's a the theology of discipleship. If you look at the word obedience, in the middle of that word is the word die. You have to die to yourself if you truly want to obey the Lord. That hard, that's hard. It goes against the, the grain. If you look at the, write the word down and then circle die in the middle, D-I-E. Surrender, we talked about, I think this morning or last night. In the middle of that one is the word end. You have to come to the end of yourself to really surrender. 
Someone who knows the Lord, obeys the Lord. I need to come to the end of myself. Lord, I want you to reign. Please reign. Every single day, I need the primer of the gospel. I need to preach this to myself every single day. Vision leaks. That's why the, the great hymn said, my heart is so prone to what? Wander. Who are you to think that you won't wander? Who, who are you to think that you have a, a corner on? Man, I got this. One great scholar said, if you think you really have it, that's really in essence you don't understand the ultimate dynamic and radical um, essence of the gospel. The fact is you sense that you have it. None of us really have it. It's a daily journey. So Jesus would even say this in John chapter, I mean, not John, but Matthew chapter four, starting in verse 18. I love this. I'm going to read this real quick. I'm going to be short. He says, while walking by the sea, I just want to make random observations, just not random, but specific, but then also just looking at the text. This is what I have. This is all my notes. This is all I have. While walking, which tells me Jesus was on a mission. Basic observation in studying the Bible. Jesus was on a mission while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw. So not only was he on a mission, but Jesus was very intentional. So Jesus was on a mission. Obviously, we know his earthly ministry was only three years. He did life with these ragtag disciples and he was on his way to Golgotha's Hill, shaped like a skull, just outside of Jerusalem, uh, where, where they would actually send orphans and, and crucify criminals. And he was on his way here. He, was, he had you on his mind. But more than that, he actually had fulfilling the Father's will on his mind first. So he's on his way to Golgotha's Hill to, for, your, for your salvation and redemption and justification and mine. But he has all of this on his mental state. But while walking, he was intentional, he saw. Isn't it good that Jesus sees? I'm going to say it again. Some of us, we just read the Bible and like, oh, Jesus got this far off distant deal and he's kind of away and, you know, whatever. I'm going to tell you all something. Jesus knows you. He sees you. The Bible, read it with attitude. The Bible says he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter. And we, we don't have to spend too much time on Peter, right? And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. I think this is very interesting that Jesus would even, uh, this would even be mentioned by Matthew, obviously right into a Jewish culture. These Jewish boys, young, probably teens, uh, they, they looked up to rabbis. And so y'all know this. I don't want to give too much context. You guys already know this, but they longed to be picked by a rabbi to sit underneath their tutelage. So here are these ragtag guys that were overlooked by the culture. They would have been considered, again, ragtag, un unclean or just kind of whatever mischiefs. And so here it is, God in flesh, he comes, he hits the scene, he's on a mission, he sees them and he calls them. So not only is he intentional, he invites. Jesus, look at the theology of discipleship here. Jesus, intentional, very intentional. He also invites us into this intentionality. The Bible says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. I love this because it highlights that Jesus always meets us. He's willing to meet you right where you're at. And chances are, if you're a disciple, if you know the Lord in this room, what the Lord wants to do in and through you, chances are you're already probably doing it in your life now. You look at, you look at Paul. Paul was a great leader, but using that leadership for the wrong reasons. 
God flipped it, had an encounter uh, with, with the Lord on the road to Damascus. God flipped that leadership from, for negative persecution and killing of the church to actually planting churches. Planting churches. So much so when he went in preaching the gospel, people said, no, 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 no. You got this twisted. Even Ananias said, man, after he heard the vision, can you imagine being Ananias? Hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go find Paul. Uh, excuse me, Lord, you, come again. In the Spanish culture, como, right? Como, como, whoa, 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 what'd you say? You talking about the one that, that's persecuting the church? How often do you and I question what God has already told us to do? We question this, the sovereignty of God and we nickel and dime God and his sovereignty. God, I know I hear you telling me to do this, but I want to nickel and dime your will. And here's the deal. Jesus says, no, what, what I'm calling you to do, disciples, I'm inviting you to be a part of something. You'll see the dynamics here. I'm inviting you to be a part of something. But chances are what God wants to do in and through you, you're already probably doing it now. And you don't even know it, but God wants to flip it for his kingdom. Here it is. He says, for they were fishermen. Oh, okay, good. That's a nice, nice little adage. Verse 19, and he said to them, notice, so not only does he see, but he talks. <laughs> what was the last time? God, actually, he's speaking. Everybody else is speaking in the culture, but here it is. The Bible declares, and he said, simple things like this, we will fly by. The Bible says he said to them, this is beautiful, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw, there it is again, two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and, the, and John, his brother, in the boat with, their, with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, a picture of delicacy and even pastoral stuff and just what they were going to actually be doing when God calls them efficiently, officially. And their father and said immediately they left their boat and they followed uh they left their father and followed him so what, what am i trying to say it's, just, it's amazing because jesus says follow me follow me let me ask you this question real simple who are you following you may say well, i'm following jesus are you now i don't want to scare you this 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 late afternoon or late morning here i don't want to scare you but I, I wonder in the church today as you think about the theology of discipleship Jesus says, if you're following him, he says, I will make. Uh-oh. So Jesus says, follow me. I'm intentional. I'm going somewhere. Follow me. He saw them. He's on a mission. He says, follow me. And then he has a promise embedded in the invitation, I will make. So you follow me. You're not following a religion. You're not following a program. You're not following a Tony Evans Bible study. There ain't women in here, but the Beth Moore studies. I mean, like, I got to do another study, another study, another study. You're not even following that. You're following God incarnate. Follow me. Follow me. I will make promise in the invitation. Fishes them in. So then what happens, we actually begin to flesh out, which, which is actually fruit of the evidence of which are, are we actually following him? And are we being transformed by him? So here's what I want to say. If you're truly following Jesus, you're going to be transformed. It's that simple. That makes sense? So it's not an overnight deal. This is a lifelong journey. So the reason I ask you why or who are you following, here's why. Here's why because people in the culture are following different types of Jesuses, if you will, or gods. You say, Marcus, help me understand that. Well, what about this one? You follow a God that agrees with, that checks off on your sin and never agrees, that never uh, disagrees with you. 
Hey, man, last time I checked, when I read the Bible, God disagrees with me quite often. The God of the Bible, ah, the God of the Bible disagrees with me quite often. So, so what's amazing, Jesus says, follow me, not a program, not culture, uh, not, not anything man-made. Follow me, follow a person. There's, there's intimacy. And, and I was talking about this idea, too, with another guy and then a book that had been written, Unburdened. People say, well, man, I just want to follow the Lord, but I feel so burdened. Well, here's the deal. It starts with intimacy with him. This is discipleship. Intimacy leads to activity. But if you get it wrong, you go, well, we like to, us, humans, mankind, man, woman, boy, and girl, we like to do a lot. This is religion. Lord, let me prove myself to you, and then thus you'll be, a, you'll be a, a proud of me and applaud me. That's how the gospel works. The gospel doesn't say do. The gospel articulates done. So here it is. He says, follow me, a person Intimate relationship leads to transformation, metamorphoso, going from one thing to looking like another. Have you thought about a butterfly lately? A caterpillar? That thing is ugly, man. That's a, caterpillars are ugly. You know, doing that little deal, be all on the tree. Ever watched one? Ever looked at one? Hairy and just, oh, just, just funky. You look real close, their skin all wrinkled. You know what's amazing though? The simplicity of creation, but also the profoundness. And it goes into what? A, co a cocoon, which is called a what? Chrysalis. Some, there you go. Goes into this chrysalis. And what happens in there? There's this yielding. There's this yielding to uh, the sovereign will for its life. And after a certain amount of time, this once ugly little funky thing laughed about and just kind of looked upon and different goes into this chrysalis and then there's this metamorphoso transformations where we get our word. And it's amazing because even at the transfiguration of Jesus, the same term metamorphoso is used. And uh, Peter, James and John that were there on the mountain with him, they saw him metamorphoso from the inside out. The Bible says his face changed. They begin to see the deity of Jesus. So here it is. This chrysalis begins to crack and this butterfly comes out soaring. Now, I don't have conversations with butterflies often, but I often wonder, I never, I can only imagine, I would never hear a butterfly saying, I want to go back to being a caterpillar. Think of this, logically. So Jesus is taking these boys somewhere. He's going to transform them to look completely different than when they started following him. So follow me. It's as if he's saying, the real fruit, I know you're following me. Here it is, guys. Watch this. Watch this. It's convicting as I preach it. Jesus going, and he's not up there taking notes like, okay, you're, you're bad. And by the way, we, we don't run from the Lord in shame if you're a believer. It's the good news of the gospel. We don't run from him in shame. We run to him in repentance and find grace and mercy. He's never out to destroy you. This is Romans 8. For there's no condemnation for anyone who's in Christ Jesus. But we're more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate you. Nothing can separate you. Not even yourself. So, but here it is. Jesus going, the fruit is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. I actually will know if you're following me, if you're fishing. So it's as if he's saying, you got to follow and fish. It's like having one coin with two sides. 
most of us in the room would say, man, I'm following the Lord. I'm following the Lord and I'm following the Lord. And that's one side of the token. But if you flip the token over, are you fishing? A disciple is one who knows the Lord, obeys the Lord, and then shares the Lord. I'm keeping it very simple here this morning. So then you say, well, what does that look like? Well, it's amazing. You got to know what God is doing. God is on a quest of redeeming and restoring all things. Do y'all know that? There's a greater meta narrative going on outside of our lives. He wants us to join him and bring about his grand plan of restoring or reconciling all things. If you have your Bibles again, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to read a little bit of passage here. I want to land the plane and we'll wrap this up. But he says this. This is amazing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, therefore, in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is or she a new creation. New. Bye-bye shame. Bye-bye old ugliness. Bye-bye guilt. Bye-bye hiccups and hangups. I still struggle, but guess what? I'm a son of the most high God. That's my identity now. So there, I live from there. That's how I see myself. That's what the Bible has declared me to be. And by the way, if you're a son of the Lord in here, you're not your best days or your worst days. A lot of times we predicate, man, if I'm doing good in my devos, then God is up there going, yeah. He doesn't work like that. There's nothing that you do or won't do that changes the way he looks at you. And how he views you. You are complete in Jesus. Positionally, before the Father, you're clean. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees perfection. But then, progressionally, y'all know this, theologians, you, there's this sanctification process, and we're still journeying with the Lord. He's cleaning up stuff out of us. It's like these seats in this room. It's like, man, well, Pastor, you don't know my story. I know I'm made new. I know I'm made new. I know I'm made new, but I have... I have a couple hiccups. I came in here very low. I, I just, I want to have, I want to obtain this. I want to, as Paul would say uh, in, in Philippians, for I'm not, I, I have not obtained this, but I'm pressing forward. Forgetting what's behind me and pressing forward. Telos. And he's saying, I haven't grasped it with my hand. Even Paul is saying this. I haven't laid hold of it, but I want it. And you're saying, this is me. And all these chairs in this room represent an area of your life that you got to give over to God. He said, how is this really possible? Now, this just seems like some magic eight ball, and, and maybe I could just meander, kind of do the Seinfeld theology, and, and when Jesus comes back, I'll be good. And, but here's the deal. God wants you to experience heaven now. He wants you to be a part of his reconciliation process. So you say, well, man, I got to follow him. If I'm following him, guess what? If I'm following him, Jesus, the one who, who's not going to throw stones at you, who looked at the lady caught in adultery and said, look, um, he was without sin, uh, cast the first stone. And I wonder, we don't know, this has been a lot of debate on this. We don't know what was going on in this setting, what Jesus wrote in the sand. I wonder if he started writing their sins that they had committed. The guys that were throwing stones and want to get the lady caught up or maybe the Ten Commandments. There are great arguments and debates out there on what was actually written in the sand. No one really knows. But I know this, the Bible does declare in Luke, he says that, um, or John 8, the Bible says that, that from oldest to youngest, they begin to leave. They knew that, man, I got, a, I got enough stuff. I have enough chairs. So here's the deal. Jesus is not out to destroy you. He's out to rebuild you when you follow him. So that means when I follow him, he's transforming. When I follow him, I realize that he's trustworthy. Man, I'm going to give you a chair over here. This far chair, front row, on my left, your right, I'm going to give him that one chair. 
And that one chair may be just control. Anybody have control issues in the room? Oh, for sure, I know I'm talking to 98% of us probably. Control. Like, God, I got this. I know you're sovereign. I salute your sovereignty, but I really praise the sovereignty of man. So, but what happens is if we were following him, we realize that he's not up to destroy us, but he's taking us somewhere. He's transforming us to join him in his work. Man, I'll say, man, God, here, you can have the whole row now. Oh, man, you know what? I'm journeying, I'm following this great God and surrendering daily, preaching the gospel to myself, being transformed. Uh, this metamorphoso dynamic, I'm giving him the whole section. And then you look up and then Lord, Lord forbid, by the time Jesus comes back, man, you like down in one chair. How many of y'all want to be down in one chair? Anybody want to be down in one chair? Do y'all want to carry all this stuff? And then you see Jesus and go, man, why didn't I drop the baggage? Why didn't I just abandonly follow him? This is not a Hallmark movie. Again, I'm telling you this. This is real. We will see the risen Savior in bodily form, still with the pierced hands inside. And for eternity, we will always be reminded of his sacrifice for you and I. So you see him, and he's going to say, good and faithful servant, job well done. Some people say, well, when I get there, I'm more concerned about it. I want to talk to Adam and Eve. No, you're not. No, you're not. When you behold his beautiful face, you'll fall down and worship. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Roman, I mean, Revelation that he'll give us a crown, and then the elders, this dynamic that we're so unworthy, even though he gives us this crown, we're going to lay that crown back down to his feet. So what do you need to give over still? Because the Bible declares, as we read Matthew 4 and look at 2 Corinthians, new creation, if we're following him, he's transforming us, metamorphoso. That proves, therefore, there's some fruit that ought to come on the outside. Not perfection, but progress. It's not about perfection. It's about at least progress and direction. That makes sense? Sometimes I think, no, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. But it is is about making a resolve and actually making progress, going in the right direction. So the Bible says this, how do I join him? A disciple is one who knows him, obeys him, ah, and then shares him, shares him. Mark Cahill in his book, One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven, One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven, he said most Christians don't share their faith because they don't have a faith to share at all. That's startling. So again, I just wonder who you're following. Do you really know Jesus? Not religion. Have you really come to the end of yourself and said, Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner in need of a savior, that you're the perfect sacrifice. You're the substitute, my substitute. You're the only one able to die in my place and to forgive me of my sins, to wash me of my sins. You also rose on the third day for justifying me before the Lord. This is crazy. That you are the only one able. Lord, will you change me today? And so here's the deal. I think some of us still need to make that decision. It's been about religion. It's been about being really close. You can be close to Jesus and still miss it. Do you know most people miss heaven by 18 inches? Most people miss heaven by 18 inches. Here's what I mean. They have it here, but it never impacted here. Have it here, head knowledge. There's a lot of people in hell with a lot of knowledge. That's like me saying, I know a lot about Steph Curry. I love Steph Curry. I'm a Warriors guy. Y'all know that. Man, stats, all this stuff, you know. <clears throat> no, Steph, he's shooting me. He just changed the game. Brother shooting, from, brother shooting from his couch, right? You know what I mean? Sack, wet, boom, right? 
Steph Curry. I know a lot about Steph Curry, but if I drove up to Steph Curry's house and like, hey, yo, let me in. They got guards and stuff in the front. Hey, yo, let me in. Hey, who are you? Guards come out, right? Sophisticated, all black suits with a, with a little earpiece. Y'all see him. Who are you? Man, I'm just, I'm a great fan. I know every single thing about your boy, Steph Curry, the three, right? You know, right down the court, yeah, right? I know everything about him. Chewing the mouthpiece all up. I know everything about him. He goes, well, hold on, let me check and see. He calls, rings into the side of the mansion. Hey, you know this Marcus Hayes guy? I don't know who, I don't know who that dude is. You see, I would get in if there was some type of relationship. I think a lot of us, we have a lot of this. Being quite honest, a lot of this, guys. And not this. Jesus is not a, he's not after knowledge-based obedience. But heartbeat obedience. And he says this, therefore, if anyone is in him, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Ah, that's a great, that's so good. Aren't you glad that you're not who you used to be? And you may say, well, man, I, I don't, I'm, not pleased. I'm not pleased with who I am now. Well, guess what? You're not who you used to be two days ago. Amen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Him, man, woman, boy, girl. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But check this out. All this is from God, all grace. It's all from him. It's all from him. We couldn't reach up high enough. God came down through his son. He says, who through Christ reconciles us to himself? That word reconcile is katalasso. What is katalasso? It's a great word in the original language that basically means God is restoring. He's been on this quest even before, even creation. The Bible said that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world. So that means it wasn't as if when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God came up with a plan. Oh, snap, we got to do something. God already knew Jesus was going to come. And since that moment, God has been on a quest Starting Genesis 12, I mean, really starting before there, really when he, Jesus, when the Lord kicks them out of the garden, but before that, he closed them with, the Bible says, closed them with, with animal loins, which is a picture for you and I that God was on a, a redemptive plan to cover us and to cleanse us and to restore us and bring us back to a relationship again with him. But it was going to cost somebody's life. It was going to cost some blood. And he goes through 42 generations, and here's the deal. God has been on this quest. What type of quest? To restore. Katalaso means to bring something back to its original state. That's what he's doing. But again, a disciple, as we wrap up, is one who knows him, obeys him. Oh, and then share him. What am I sharing? Look at the text. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That's the first reconciliation. You got to have this beam before you get to this beam. Reconciled us to himself and gave us Look at this. Gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. So remember earlier I was talking about ministry. That, oh, I don't have no ministry. I'm not called to ministry. Yes, you are. Based on this, yes, you are. If you're a believer, your follower, you have been given, the moment you give your life to Christ, the ministry of reconciliation. He says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting, there it is again, entrusting to them, or to us, the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. There's a term, whenever there's redundancy and repetitive words used in a passage, the Bible is trying to articulate something and drive something home. 
that you and I, we are ambassadors and we ought to be the share portion here. If we're truly following him, we ought to be living this out. And here's what it means. This text right here, um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, it's in the present tense. Marcus, you really, you love this stuff. Well, I'm a nerd to some degree, but here it is. It's saying that you don't need to go to school to be a reconciler. You don't have to get a degree. You don't have to plant seven churches. You, you don't have to have read through the Bible a whole year. I mean, you don't have to have, this, one, this is what he's saying, that the moment you give your life to Christ, the spirit indwells you, you're sealed. Ephesians chapter one, you're given you're this ministry. So let me ask you this question. Are you doing, what are you doing with this ministry? Because the last time I checked, the Lord is a wise investor. He's a gentleman, though. He's never going to truly force you. But if you don't see his grace as being really beautiful, you will never truly see or get to the place of seeing your sin or your brokenness as being an issue. So let's, let me just say this. Let me wrap it up. A theology of discipleship is this. God is taking you somewhere. But not just for your own benefit, but for to be a part of this grand narrative of restoring and reconciling the world back to himself. That's a cool deal. And by the way, you're not his employee. You know, we're not God's employees, right? In that sense, we're sons. So bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's do this. You may say, man, look, I just need, I need somebody to pray for me. I just want to be really... And we don't have to have no music behind us. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I just want to be real authentic in this moment. I just want us to be honest with one another and say, man, I, I am, I know Jesus. I've surrendered my life to him, but I'm, I'm really not repping. I'm not, I call myself a disciple, but I'm not really following Jesus because I sense based on this text that the transformation is really not happening. I manufactured, I'm trying to do it on my own. This, this transformation, but it happens really in an intimate relationship with Jesus. So first, you got to say, do I even know him? So if you don't know Jesus this morning, and before we land a plane, I want to ask you a clear question. If you were to die right now and stand before the Lord, you say, well, man, hold on. Is there another spot in between there? There's great debate. You have the intermediate state and all this other stuff. But Hebrews 9, 27 say this, it's appointed unto man to live once, and after that, after that, this is, there's judgment. So boom, boom. So if you were to today, let's just keep it real here. Today, not based on religion, not based on stuff that you've done and been around the church. I'm talking about really, I'm, I'm, Lord, I need you. I, your grace is so beautiful. Man, I see that the problem is with me, not with you. You provided a means and a solution for redemption, for restoration, for salvation and deliverance. But, but I realize I need that. If you never truly repented, you say, well, man, if I come to heaven, I'm just going to say, look at all the stuff I did, Lord. I was in church. I did all this stuff. Man, I, man, I was, man, boom. You can say a lot of things, but again, you will miss heaven by 18 inches. Let me just encourage you on this. I don't want to scare you, but it'd be too late. It's not like you're going to stand before him. He's going to give you another uh, altar call. He gives us time now to make that decision. Time, this is, this, is a, this is a moment of grace here. That God can pull you in, that you can realize that he loves you, has a plan for you. He sent his son to die for you and he rose for you. And he wants to use you as an agent 
to bring about restoration and reconciliation in the culture, in your life, with him first, but then also in the culture. And here's the beautiful part. He's going to transform you. I love it. He, he made the promise. You say, Pastor, I need to, I, I, I'm not even sure. I don't want to scare you and, you know, oh, I don't know. You know, I, if you're not even sure about, man, if you made a decision, you may say, I've just been, I hear people say this a lot. Man, I've been, around, I've been in church all my life. That doesn't mean anything. You can be, I can stand in a car, a garage all day long and say I'm a Ferrari. Don't make me no Ferrari. I can go to Whataburger. That's a Texas thing. I don't know if you have Whataburger here, but I can go to Whataburger and say, I'm a, bur I'm a burger, I'm a burger, I'm a burger. People look at me like I'm, I'm smoking crack. So you being in church all your life means nothing. It won't hold weight before a holy God. The only way to get to heaven is clear. Jesus says, I'm the way. His repentance is turning and trusting his way and his way alone, and it's only through him. Believing in the work of Calvary. What happened at Calvary? Well, Jesus died in my place, and he rose for me. Jesus lived the life that I was supposed to live, and he died the death that I was supposed to die. That is the only way to get to heaven. It's trusting and believing in that and that alone for salvation. So you say, Pastor, I need this. I want you to do this. Just say, hey, look, man, I need to surrender my heart. I'm not even sure. Maybe... I just thought it happened and I just been around. I want you to do this. I want you to just heads bowed, eyes closed. I want you to look up at me. This is serious. I want you to look up at me. I want to make sure this thing is, if you, you look, I want you to look at me very clear. I, I see men looking at me. We got to nail this down. This is important. So the guys looking at me, I'm telling you what, man, I, I, I just, I don't know music. We're not trying to manipulate the mood. This is just wrong. God's saying, come follow me. Come follow me. I have something for you. Come follow me. Nail this down. Eternity is too long to be wrong. If you're looking at me, we have leaders in the back, have some pastors on his back wall. Hey, here's the deal. I want you guys, no shame in the game. You just say, man, on the count of three, I want you to get up and make your way to these guys, these leaders and these pastors, worship leaders, um, pastoral residents. They're ready to talk to you. We got to nail, guys, we got to nail this down. So, Lord, thank you. For these individuals that looked up and said, man, I, I, I'm not, I don't even know who I'm following. I'm really following myself. I thought maybe I was following you. I want to nail this down. I'll be clear that I'm going to heaven when I leave this place. But not just going to heaven. Lord, you have a plan and purpose for my life. And it's, it's not to use you for our good. But Lord, you want to ultimately use us for your good. It's a different way of looking at it. And so these men that looked up at me and young boys, I pray, Lord, that you would save their souls, set their souls on fire for you. That they'll be catalassos. They'll be men that live out the ministry of reconciliation and the message of re reconciliation and become fishers of men.